the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Another great show uh, in line, lined up, and we're looking forward to it. Thank you for tuning in. I was a little tired yesterday. If you heard my open, I was a little tired. Uh, I apologize for that. Sometimes I just get worn out, and I was worn out yesterday. But I'm back. I got the energy level up, and we will talk with our old friend Todd Benzman. It's turning into the Todd Benzman Show, which is totally okay with me because the guy is a super, super talent. Uh, the journalist who writes over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's, he's what I like best. He's an investigative journalist who understands all the polit- uh, policy, uh, gets on the ground, he's at the border all the time, and then he's willing to come up to D.C. and talk about it with the powers that be and try to tell them what's actually working and what's not. So we'll talk with him. We'll get an update on that Venezuelan guy. He was Lebanese-born Venezuelan who uh, came through the border, was flagged for being on the FBI watch list, and then released because he's fat. And they didn't want him to get COVID. I'm not kidding. That's what happened. And he's now up in the Detroit area on the, on the loose. I don't know. He's, he, he's supposed to go to a hearing. We'll find out uh, more about that and get an update. We'll also speak with a man whose family is from the Ukraine. I believe he was born there. He's a pastor up in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And he, I, I was put in touch with him. And I thought, well, let's ask somebody about what the people are like there, right? We've heard about the people all over the place. And we'll, we'll talk with him about uh, that. Probably be a chance for me to mispronounce uh, names uh, like uh, <laughs> like I do with uh, Ukraine and other places, Ukrainian names. And uh, all right, so what you need to know today, though, let me tell you what I noticed. I want to explain this to you. It's very important. Uh, you need to understand this, uh, and I, I, I'm going to try to walk through this very carefully. And, and let me tell you, what you need to know right now is this. War is popular. Well, now, what do you say? What do you mean by that? War is popular, meaning war is popular to the people of a nation. We've seen this, okay? Joe Biden's poll numbers, his approval ratings are going up. Nothing's better. In fact, the world is worse and America's worse. Life for the American people is worse this week than last week. His poll numbers are going up. Now, we'll talk about why this happens in a moment. But here's another, tr- here's another detail. In Russia, there's now some polling, and some of it is unreliable, but there's a few polling outfits that are are more reliable. And I just believe this. I think this is true when I tell you. Putin is more popular. He's more popular today than he was last week. The people of his nation see him as their leader against the the people that are trying to abuse them, NATO and others, and these you know these godless people from other countries. It's not hard to make it. You should watch Twitter. It's not hard to see some of the arguments. But my point here is to pull back and tell you, War is popular. War is a galvanizing thing to have happen to a community. The instinct of a nation, a good nation, I mean, a nation that has its, has its uh, fibers uh, linking each other, a good, uh, is to pull together and to make the leaders more popular because of the fight. Now, pause for a moment and say to yourself, wait a second, we're not in a war with Russia, but it's being positioned as we're in the war, we're one side of the world. We're the good guys and we're against the bad guys. So, but I think that's actually true. You know, we're not, we're not fighting the Russians. We say that all the time. 
We're not fight. We don't want to fight the Russians. They're two new nuclear powers. That would be bad. But effectively, with all the sanctions and all the things happening, you, you sort of are, are obviously opposing forces. So what's happening here? Well, one, when you have control and you are the powerful uh, leaders, you can influence the coverage of what the war is. Now, you think to yourself, and let me pause. I mean, after 9-11, you didn't have to think much about it to say, well, we got to defend ourselves after 9-11. A couple years later, as the government uses its power to tell us why we have to go to war in Iraq, we can look back now and say that there was some uh, that was not that was sneaky stuff. Right. That was not we weren't getting the whole deal. After World War II, and as historians wrote the books, we looked back and said, you know, we, we banded together. Americans banded together. The men ran towards the war, and the women a lot of times ran to the factories and helped out. I mean, it was a, it was a success in terms of uh, 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 people getting together, and the leaders received popularity because of it. You, we don't want to be against our leaders while we're in a war. And again, you look back at World War II, there were things that at the time I think were probably somewhat misleading or more than that by our leaders, but here we are, especially if you believe you're in an existential crisis. crisis. So when you're watching this and Putin is telling his people, we must unite, we must get back the, 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 our cousins who live in the Ukraine territory who are being uh, basically uh, co-opted by NATO and the West to try to mess with us. That's what he tells them. I'm not defending him. I'm saying that's what he tells them. And the people of Russia say, yeah, I see that. I see that. I see, I see all this stuff that's going on. I see the corruption, the Biden family corruption in the Ukraine, Burisma paying the money. I see. Why wouldn't the people of, why wouldn't the people of Russia look up and say, Biden's family made millions from the Ukrainian oligarchs. Of course he's taken their side. They would recognize that as the kind of corruption you see in everyday life in the world. So that's what Putin's talking to his people in Russia and saying, we have to defend ourselves. Look at these people. Look at these nations across over there and what they're doing. Look at what the EU is doing in terms of its values, in terms of, of, of free speech and free association and freedom of religion. Look at the empty churches in, across Europe. This is what he's saying. Is he untrue? When Putin says that America caused, America and NATO caused and NATO is effectively America. We pay all the bills and we tell them what we're going to do. If Putin says America effectively caused this war, is, is he lying? Well, I'm not sure, but that's what he's telling his people. And back here in America, we're now watching Joe Biden tell us Russia is at fault for the gas prices. Now, put aside that only 7% of our oil production or oil uh, consumption comes from Russia, and we just stopped that. Put aside that the decisions to stop uh, drilling on lands and fracking and EPA regulations are all Bidens from 15 months ago. Put all that aside. You have to. Joe Biden and the media is now going to tell us it's Russia's fault that gas prices are up and inflation is up. And here's the thing. Two things will work in favor of that message succeeding. One, in a war footing... People want to believe in their leader. It's not a good way. We don't want to believe that we're failing. And two, the sophistication of big tech, big media working with big government to tell us what that truth is has never been more sophisticated. That sophistication is as high as it's ever been. It's a technical sophistication. It's a, it's a, uh, a, 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 um, uh, a messaging sophistication, language sophistication. It's just as high as it's ever been. It's a neuroscience is involved. So we're watching 
war or you know a conflict and it's war war being uh be delivering what is almost always the reality at least again in the short term the, the, the bloom may come off the rose in a year or two but for this period of time in this kind of crisis we're watching the predictable happen which is the people of each nation and it's happening in ukraine by the way the Ukrainian people who had, I think, a 30% approval rating for Zelensky, now they think he walks on water. And we're starting to get more on this guy. It's not, again, I'm not blaming him. I happen to know enough politicians and elected officials that I don't think that knowing character flaws about Winston Churchill makes me think less of his leadership. Uh, you know, knowing that there's character flaws, uh, flaws about presidents uh, or, or t- top leaders means that you know that they're human beings. And that they overcame the failings and that they, that they, you know, that they have the same kinds of moral issues, moral problems, moral failings. Everybody does. And that's not what you necessarily judge them by. But you better be careful when you put them up on a pedestal. Uh, I mean, this is a, and, and especially when the left puts them up, looks at the pedestal and says, I'll take that guy down. I won't take Martin Luther King Jr. down for his own moral failings, but I will take down, I don't know who, George Washington. So it's, that, that, that's the problem. But watching what's happened brings us to this question. Who's lying and how well are they persuading us with their lies? That's the question. And are our leaders, opposition leaders, being sufficiently sophisticated? Because we live live in a free country. I don't think in Russia right now, if you are in the opposition parties, you're going to have much luck communicating your message of concerns. I don't think that works very well now. Now, they are in a full-on war footing, so it's a little different than here. Maybe if we were on a full-on war footing, we wouldn't allow much of it either. But right now, the opposition leadership can articulate what they see as the failings in this Russia causing high gas prices and inflation. We should focus on that instead of all the other aspects of what's gone on. And yet, I see Republicans and conservatives without much vision on this yet. So understand, war will be used by leaders to increase their popularity. It works. The question is whether we, the people, will have the ability to be critical of that and see through it. All right, that's what you need to know. We've got to take a break. We'll come back. We've got Todd Benzman and others. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here with uh, my old friend, uh, Todd Benzman, who, of course, is a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. And even as he and I will talk about a number of different topics, you should go to his um his author page, uh, he's got sort of uh, columns that he's written, also kind of uh, extended blog posts. Uh, it's a very effective page, and uh, check it out. So uh, welcome, Todd. Before we get into a little bit more, I have some questions that I've, I've been reading about on the border. Can you give me an update on the situation of the Venezuelan on the watch list who ended up in Detroit? What's, what's going on with that? Well, the only thing really to report is that eight members of the um, GOP in Congress in the House, you know, put in a request to hold a hearing to the Democrats on this to have a kind of an inquest to learn more about how this possibly could have happened. And they've been greeted with blank silence, total huh. silence, and being ignored. And, you know, I write in my piece 
last week in The Federalist that, you know, this really is a, a bipartisan, nonpartisan homeland security matter that, you know, could be cause for unity right. on a matter like this really, really just demands unity. Uh, that this is a bipartisan response, but but somehow it's just not happening. And it's just really unfortunate that that's yeah. happening. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Todd Benzman. And again, if you go to his uh, website, CIS.org, and click through to his uh, author page, you can actually, he mentioned this Federalist piece, which ran about a week ago, uh, and the title, The Biden administration released a suspected terrorist in the United States after he illegal cro- illegally crossed the border. Um, the story is about a, I think it's um, a, 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 actually a Lebanese-born Venezuelan, um, so who came through the border, was on the watch list, and was caught. They recognized it, and then somehow, somewhere, somebody intervened and said, uh, let him go, and the guy's in Detroit now. Um, uh, by the way, Todd Benzman's book, America's Covert Border War, well worth a read, especially on this topic, because he talks uh, about, very specifically, um, the uh, untold story of the nation's battle to pre- prevent jihadist infiltration. This guy that's coming from Venezuela, Lebanese born is not coming uh, for the, um, you know, for the um, uh, YMCA or, or he's got <laughs> some reasons. So uh, Todd, but, but I, I want to go to some other stuff. So back for one second, I think last week or earlier this week or sometime around uh, in the last little while, there was supposed to be a hearing and uh, uh, up in Detroit of this guy's, he was supposed to show up. Did he show up? I don't know. Uh, I I haven't heard whether he okay. did, uh, but I'll. Uh, it's something I need to check on. That there's a, a reporter up there who is planning to go to that hearing. I would not be surprised if it was a closed. If they yeah. closed that hearing, it's an asylum related thing, so they they can close it. Yeah. Also, I just want to add one thing that the reason that they released him, according to the documents that I have is that he was overweight and therefore a at risk of catching covid. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but uh, it's amazing. I mean, all the all the facts in this one as you point out are so th- these are so specific. This isn't speculative. This isn't you and I saying, wouldn't it be possible if such and such happened and shouldn't we therefore change the policy? No. Here's a specific example. Let me say by the way that the, the uh, reporter up in the Detroit area, Charlie Leduff is his name, um who writes for a Detroit uh, online publication, former New York Times reporter, won a Pulitzer Prize. So it's not like he's uh sometimes you hear online reporter you say, well, who's this kid? This is right. an experienced guy. Uh, Todd, I wanted to ask you broadly on this topic. I had a I had an issue on the program uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, talking with one of our guests, um, and I was talking about failures to react in an emergency. And, and in this case, uh, it was Selena Zito, the great writer for the Washington Examiner and other places, the journalist, who was writing about the problem of opioids. And, and that fentanyl and other opioids are coming through the border. And, and it's not that they're coming through the border and giving our kids bad grades in high school um, or giving our um, uh, uh, unemployed uh, or underemployed folks a, a habit that gets them homeless. That's happening. But it's actually killing people. We have overdoses at record levels and fentanyl is one cause, other opioids, too. Um, and we know it's coming through the border. It's not the fentanyl is not coming through the mail anymore. We, we actually change that policy. And so this crisis is significant. It's sort of like a. I said, if the house is on fire and right next door is a pond and, and you're waiting for the pumpers to bring water at a certain point, you do something with what you've got next to you. We, we could change the dynamic here. Why is it not? I mean, as you point out, it's not not every Democrat is heartless, not every liberal is a moron, but I mean, they're just not even trying. Well, you have to start with the number 
of OD deaths, and it's in excess of 100,000 in the last year. 100,000 Americans dead yeah. from that drug. It's unbelievable. So, it's unbelievable. Uh, it really is. It's something that is is just epic and biblical almost. And um, so once you start from that, uh, then the questions really come fast and furious. You know, what really is, you know, impeding uh, Congress and the DEA and the, the heads of, of all of our major homeland security agencies from even talking about this? And, you know, I'm a cynical kind of guy. I guess I've gotten that way over the years, but I, I think that that it's because the human wave of migration, the mass migration wave has taken so many border patrol agents off the line and left so many gaps on the line down there that if they were to have to do something about it, they would then have to acknowledge that the border crisis that they created has to be fixed. Uh, And that would require that they acknowledge that there's a problem which they're not willing to do. And so for their own political benefit, it's easier to just let all these Americans die. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my cynical view on it. Uh, and I, I hope I'm wrong, but it, I don't have another, I don't have an alternative explanation. You know, there are things that could be done, uh, kinetic things that could be done on the Mexican side. These things are being manufactured in super labs in Mexico where we know the locations uh, and they're, you know, controlled by the cartels in areas that, you know, Mexican military forces could occupy if, if we wanted them to. If we, if we had a Trump in office who, were to, who was to say something like, if you don't take out those super labs, we'll be putting progressive trade tariffs on all your auto parts and your maquiladoras. Uh, and maybe edging you out of the um, trilateral deal, that trade deal with us in Canada and things like that. But because you have this president in there who is weak need and not wanting to uh, acknowledge that there is a major historic border crisis ongoing right now, it's just allowed. Yeah, uh, we're talking about uh, Todd Benzman is, is our guest. And again, his book is America's Covert Border War, uh, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Postal Press Bombardier Books is the publisher. Uh, you can find anywhere books are sold. And over at CIS.org, you'll see his writings. Uh, Todd, the, 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 my point on the politics of it is that it's, it's, it's escalated um, in, in intensity or in crisis mode. And yet, I guess because you just don't see much coverage of it, it's not. It moves up an issue. I mean, the issue. The public is aware of it. They're aware of it more than they have been. Uh, but the intensity. If you knew that the kids dying in your town from overdose were in large part, it was either preventable or could make it a lot harder uh, by having a different policy at the border. I think it would change a lot of people. I, I think. But but here we are. Uh, and and I guess uh, are you seeing again? You're not a pol- you're not a political guy. You're a journalist, but you watch the politicians. Are you seeing the Republicans? understand the problem. I saw some Republicans in Texas refer to uh, one of these amnesty, you know, major sort of uh, let's come up with a comprehensive plan. And, and I think sometimes those work with the public or, or might, I don't like them, but because they actually secure the border, they start out saying they secure the border. Uh, but are the Republicans understanding the intensity of this problem or, or, or the importance of it? 
Yeah, well, you know, I just came from D.C. I've had a couple trips there, and I've been on the Hill with those uh, Republican congressmen. And I'd have to say, yes, uh, they do get it. They understand it. But they're impotent to do much about it because they're in the minority, and it's a partisan, you know, battleground, especially the border. And they can't get anywhere on it. Um, you know, we we saw that they had a uh, uh, a hearing about this issue, but they couldn't get the Democrats to even grant them the right to use a room on Capitol Hill. They had to do it off campus. I was uh, one of the you know testifiers at that, and you know I did talk about the opioid or the the, the fentanyl crisis down there. But the point is, is that, you know, they, they can't even get a hearing. They can't even get a response about this terrorist that crossed the Venezuelan. They can't. So, I mean, they're just, you know, you know the, 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 uh, the thing I think that Todd is that, and I'll tell you, because um, you, you, as you said, there's a lot of these folks that when they look for an expert, they say, get, get, let me talk to Todd Benzman. He'll explain this to me. He's got the book he wrote and he's on the border a lot. So um, they're listening to you, but I just have to say, um, I forget now who told me this. Um, forget about if the Republicans win the House, that they do oversight committees. Oversight is is Latin for grandstanding. It's not really, but I like to do that to my sons. I tell them that all the time, those kinds of phrases. And then they go, what? But la- uh, oversight committees are Latin. For, it's Latin for grandstanding. All you do is you get Adam Schiff doing that and, and frankly, Jim Jordan doing this and all that stuff. What they have to do is appropriations. The House originates all appropriation bills. So, so they can say Speaker McCarthy could say, no bill will move that funds any of the stuff you want if you, Mr. President, don't start building the wall, don't secure, don't change, whatever. That, that's what Tip O'Neill did it with Reagan. Now, Reagan smiled and said, oh, I got everything I wanted anyway, because Reagan was like Trump. He would come out of the deal. If it was a good deal for him, he'd say it was a great deal. If it was a bad deal for him, he said it was a great deal. So, But, but you know, somebody's got to have the courage. And, and I think they have to nail their colors to the mask now, Todd, because if they don't, they're going to get in and they're going to be proposing stuff that lobbyists and big business guys know we're going to change the tax structure of this. We're going to make it so investment capital can be, you know, uh, can be handled this way, all this kind of stuff, which is none of it's bad necessarily. But I, I just wonder if anybody's going to say that because enough appropriators, an appropriator can hold a department hostage. I hate to say it like that, but they could if they wanted to. And the question is, will Congress decide to do what the Congress, what the Constitution allows? It remains to be seen. I mean, we saw uh, Republican controlled chambers in not the too distant past. Right. Not not follow through. They just didn't follow through. They didn't do it. And I think this time, though, uh, the voters are so at least on the on the GOP side. Uh, are so angry and 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 aware of what's going on down there that that I'm hoping that they'll just be obligated this time to actually do something. Yeah, if they if they if they if they if they do a contract for America where they vote for seven things that have no chance of ever becoming law, a constitutional amendment on term limits, which will never happen, then it'll be again the typical nonsense. If they go in and they say, "I I will not." file a budget bill until you do X or Y, period. And, and until you chew that, that, that's it. We'll shut everything down and I'll die on this hill because the 100,000 Americans are dying a year from fentanyl. And, and if they won't do that, I'm, I'm sure 
that the media and everyone else will beat up Republicans in the two years that they have, quote unquote, power in order to have a Democrat win. And meanwhile, the administrative state grows. It, it manages all the things they're doing. I mean, there's no use winning if you're not going to change because you're right. right in the past. It's been that way, just as you described for 25 years since Newt won. And now we're at a point where the country's in a crisis in a different way. And just like Trump was a different president, there needs to be a different speaker. And my bet is in politics, being outside the the, the norm doesn't usually pay. So I, I'm worried about it. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Todd. That was a bit of a, 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 a soliloquy <laughs> at the end. I, I have to run. Todd Benzman will put it up on social media. Keep us informed. Hey, let us know on this. Uh, I don't want to let this Venezuelan up in Detroit go. So let us know what you hear on that. And we'll talk again soon. Will do. And I appreciate you uh, keeping that up there because uh, this, oddly, this story has gotten no other play no other writing except for me and Charlie Ladoff. Huh. Well, let's, 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 yeah, let's pop it up. Let's keep going. Okay. All right. Thank you. Todd Benzman, everybody. Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. One of my favorite things that happens, as the listeners know, is when uh, listeners email. And so I got an email um, from a, a young fellow. I don't know if I've ever talked to him except through email uh, named Seth. And he, Seth said he's uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. His pastor was born in the Ukraine. And then he said, you know, he's, he's got some great experience and, and perspective. And then I he sent a couple links. And, and actually, this, <laughs> our next guest, who is uh, he's not just a uh, he's not just uh, has a story. He's now been all over the news. You may have seen him. Pastor Andrew Morose. I, I told my listeners, Pastor, earlier that I'll mispronounce any name as simple as it can be. So you can correct me. Uh, but he's uh, you may have seen him on Fox News and other places. Uh, but he was born in the Ukraine. And I thought, let's talk a little bit about the people in this uh, nation. And so welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, Ed, thank you so much for having me. And you did not mispronounce my name. You oh, did good. great. Good, good. Well, good. Well, tell, first, tell us the so tell us how you got here. Tell well, You were telling me off the air, but tell us how you got from the Ukraine. Tell us where in the Ukraine you were born and, and, and maybe, you know, um, the size of the Ukraine. Is it if you're born X place, are you still close to Kiev? I mean, I, how, how, tell me a little bit about your background, how sure. you got here. Sure. Happy to do that. So I was actually born right in Kiev oh. in 1986. Uh, wow. So I was born in the Soviet Union. My birth certificate uh, says the USSR on it. Wow. When, you, when Ukraine became independent in 1991, uh, that's when my family started to explore different possibilities. Before that, you couldn't just leave. You can't just, you can't just go somewhere um, like the United States or the West. It was a very oppressive environment when I was born. Huh. And so um, in the mid 90s, Ukraine uh, was you know, beginning to learn democracy and, and learning what it means to be an independent nation. Uh, my family uh, made the trip over to the United States. Uh, and so do that's kind of how do we you, do. You, do you remember the Ukraine from your youth then? I mean, you, you, that, that was long enough, you, you know, that you do you remember aspects of it pretty well. Have oh, you been back absolutely. often too? We have. So. Uh, we were in the States for a few years. Then my, my father was involved in a nonprofit organization in Ukraine for two more years. So I was, this was right as I was going into middle school. So I spent a couple more years in Ukraine. I lived there. I still have many friends, many relationships. And I had the joy of taking my three kids who are Ukrainian Americans. So I married an American girl from Troy, New York, uh, took my kids uh, and her over to Ukraine three years ago to meet my family and to introduce wow. them to the culture, and to the people of Ukraine. 
Wow. Um, and, and so when you say the people in the culture of the Ukraine now, I'm, I've, my listeners have heard me talk about this. When I was a boy, I'm probably a not too dissimilar time period from your birth. It was the 80s. And my father had some friends that had gotten out of the Ukraine and the Soviet Union. It had not fallen yet. So it was the 80s. And I remember meeting them and I can think of I can picture them. And it was so interesting. But they definitely identified themselves as Ukrainian. They, they weren't like American from Texas, they were Ukrainian. And mm-hmm. is that is, are there people that live in Ukraine now that real that are, they say themselves, we're Russian, we are living here, but we're Russian or are, are we misunderstanding that when we hear it or and, and are we being misled? No, Ukrainians are very proud to be Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian. Uh, they have a long history, even before the Soviet Union, of having a distinct culture, having a distinct language. They're very proud of that language. They're very proud of their culture. And so uh, there are some regions on, on the, in the eastern border where people predominantly speak Russian, but they still identify as Ukrainians. And so even people in those regions, so we've had friends and, and ministry partners who've served there, who've gone over there to the last eight years. There's been a conflict happening for eight years. It's just become a worldwide phenomenon in the last two weeks. But as people have gone to serve there, even those Russian-speaking individuals in Ukraine, uh, most of them don't want to be Russian. They, they are Ukrainian. They identify as Ukrainian. And so we don't have masses of people leaving to go to Russia. Uh, the mm. refugees are moving uh, west. They're trying to get to the Western nations. Um, uh, we're uh, for, Before I forget this, uh, this question, where would people go? Where would you send people go to learn, to learn more about the Ukrainian culture? In, in other words, not, 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 the fat, not CNN or Fox News on what's happening, but the culture. Is there, are there culturally uh, helpful sites to look at and information? Man, that's an excellent question. Uh, I'm not familiar with any specific sites, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, Ukraine is a large nation, over 40 million people. And there's quite a few Ukrainians that have left over the last 30 years who are in the United States. They're uh, in other Western nations. Uh, Find a Ukrainian friend. Find a neighbor that's connected to Ukrainian friend and have conversations about about the country and about their experiences. Right now, I'm following um, a number of Ukrainian journalists on Twitter and Facebook, and and they're people that are engaging in conversation. Uh, Now, in our globally connected world, we actually have opportunities to engage people directly that maybe uh, we wouldn't in the past. And so one of the best ways to get to know the Ukrainian people is by having conversations just like this uh and and um uh thank you for that and i that's that's something though that you know over time uh, this is not going away what by the way we're talking with andrew morose he's a pastor uh in central virginia down in lynchburg and born in the ukraine um and uh, people are gonna you know it's uh, it's gonna be something people are asking about for years to come uh, especially as we have refugees and and people that are coming migrants coming to the states from uh from the ukraine do you are you hearing from people in the Ukraine, family or others? Because it's it's not like the old days where you had to wait till the mail got smuggled out and sent from so such and such. If you, if you can get Internet service, big if you can get messages out. Are you hearing from many people? Yes, we're in daily communication uh, and we're so grateful for that because in many ways you feel helpless uh, on mm-hmm. this side of the ocean. But to be able to engage my wife, uh, who uh, is just uh, such a blessing to me and to my Ukrainian family, she has put amazing effort into communicating every single day, sending them updates from our family, trying to help them stay distracted yeah. because they're living with this incredible reality of war all around them. 
nobody is really safe. Uh, everybody is hiding or they're trying to get out of the country. I've, I've had a few relatives that are in Poland and they're just waiting that they want the conflict to end so that they can go back to Ukraine. They're not trying to run away to the West. They love Ukraine. They want to help rebuild Ukraine. And so we are communicating on a daily basis. The um, uh, uh, Again, our guest is Andrew Moros, uh, who's a pastor in Central Virginia, born in the Ukraine. Uh, and um, how would you describe the difference between Ukrainian people and Russian people? I know that sounds ridiculous to you because you're born in Ukraine and you're like, that's like saying, Ed, describe the difference between an American and a Canadian. You kind of know it when you see it. But I mean, you know, in, in some ways, that's a good question because a good comparison, because you saw a Canadian guy standing next to an American guy, at least in Minnesota, you'd say, ah, you know, you can see sort of enough similarities of the West, right, of the Western democracies. Are, mm-hmm. Is the Ukrainian, I'm looking at your picture, you, you look like an American. So, I mean, I mean, I know you are. I'm just teasing, but uh, but is the is the are the Ukrainian people and Russian people are there are do they share similarities in in outlook? Uh, I, I did hear that that in terms of faith, um, the Orthodox Church and and uh, and Christianity are stronger in the Ukraine and Russia than other parts of Europe for sure. Mm-hmm. There are some cultural similarities. What's interesting is Ukrainians have for a long time have had this desire to experience freedom and to experience capitalism, maybe the way the West does. Right. In, in Russia, people are much more restricted. And so, you know, we couldn't have this conversation right now in Russia because stations and podcasts and websites are shut down that, that have conversations about war or conflict. In Russia, they're still trying to say that this is a military operation when in reality it is a war. Um, There are cultural similarities. Most Ukrainians do not have issues or beef with the the majority of the population of Russia. It's the regime. That's that's where the angst is coming from. Ukrainians have friends. They have um, some of them have relatives who live in Russia. But their friends and relatives are much more restricted, also um, much more indoctrinated, I think, because of the way that the the communication works in in Russia. In terms of the church, you mentioned the church. Yeah, that's a that's a huge deal. So there a couple of years ago, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church broke away from the Russian Orthodox Church and that made Putin furious. That's one of his demands is that the Ukrainian Orthodox Church drops the Ukrainian. You you will only be the Orthodox Church. There's one church. And the reason why that's so dangerous is because if Putin can control the media and if he can control the politicians and if he can control religion, that is what a dictator does. And the people in Ukraine, they love freedom. They love democracy. They don't they don't practice it perfectly. OK, they've right. only been learning how to do that for about 30 <laughs> years. Right. But but they love it. And so one of the fears is that uh, the media that's free right now to speak about the reality of what's happening in Ukraine, the media feel like they're not going to be able to have that opportunity if if the Russian regime takes over. Uh, I have friends who are ministry leaders, who are nonprofit leaders in Ukraine. There's legitimate fear about the way that they're going to be restricted in their operations. Their pastors, uh, when my mom was there, for example, so I was born in the 80s, Soviet Union. Right. Uh, my family has an evangelical background. 
And my mom was not really allowed to practice her faith. Uh, And so uh, pastors would be arrested. Evangelical pastors would be arrested during the Soviet Union, and they would be sent to Siberia or to labor camps. Wow. Uh, And in that environment, um, it's interesting that the church in Ukraine still developed and grew, uh, even in the midst of the oppression and persecution. But then uh, 1991, Ukraine becomes independent, and all of a sudden it becomes this base of religious freedom. And lots of uh, so theological education began to develop, seminaries began to be established, and, uh, and lots of people would come to Ukraine when they wanted to do ministry or nonprofit work in the former Soviet bloc countries. They right. would start in Ukraine because huh. it was free, because there was, wow. up, there was relationships. And so that is being threatened right now. Hmm. Uh, a threat to Ukraine is a threat to all of Europe and yeah. to us as well. Well, I, I tell you, I'm out of time, unfortunately, but you're, it's, it's as helpful as I thought to hear from a man born there who has the connection and talks about the people, because we hear a lot about the politics and all. So thank you, Pastor Andrew Morose. I, I see you uh, in a number of places, settings, talking about this. I hope encourage you to do it. You're very good at it. And thank you for your time. And, and keep us informed. Let's keep in touch. As you see things, maybe jump back on the air and we'll uh, talk about it. So thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, too. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Ever since Congress began pouring our federal tax dollars into public schools, parents have been solicitous to have Congress write into law that we do not want the federal people or the U.S. Department of Education to write the curriculum or lesson plans for our children. Parents want those decisions made at the local level by local school boards, which are or should be subject to the watchful eyes of local citizens and parents. So since education was considered a state and local responsibility, here is some of the pro-parent language that had been written into many federal laws as school money bills were passed. The 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act, the original federal intrusion into public schools, stated, Nothing in this act shall authorize any federal official to mandate, direct, or control school curriculum. The 1970 General Education Provisions Act stipulates that no provision of any applicable program shall be construed to authorize any federal agency or official to exercise any direction, supervision, or control over the curriculum, program of instruction, or selection of instructional materials by any school system. The 1979 law creating the Department of Education forbids it from exercising any direction, supervision, or control over the curriculum or program of instruction of any school system. The Elementary and Secondary Education Act says no education department funds may be used to endorse, approve, or sanction any curriculum designed to be used in grades K through 12. Despite all those strong words, Common Core is clearly imposing national control. The mechanism of control is the tests that all students must take. If they haven't used the approved Common Core curriculum, they will have a hard time passing the Common Core tests. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Got to wrap things up again a little bit over uh, a little bit a short timer, short timer here on the last segment. So thank you for tuning in. Hey, um, I promised you an update on pro-life and we will get that in the next day or two. We'll have a couple of guests on pro-life issues and we'll get a briefing uh, from my friend Jordan Henry of the um, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles He's our research director out in St. Louis. He'll give us an update on uh, the Dobbs case, which is coming down uh, next uh, f- next June in about three. Or, uh, it's about five months right now, uh, four and a half months. So we'll get all that from him. All right, everybody. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Uh, also, thank you to Joanna Stilger, our associate producer. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.